Well, good morning. Are we ready for story time? All right. I know. I like that. Uh, So yeah, this series is all about these stories of Jesus. And if you are familiar with church, maybe you grew up in church, you might know these as parables, these little neatly packaged, constructed fake stories that Jesus uses to really emphasize a point and really help people think about something in a different way. And your homework this summer is in each of these parables to kind of figure out what's the little hook that Jesus is doing that, that flips the script and makes this, oh, whoa, I did not see this coming. Each one of these parables has something in it that has this surprise ending, this kind of shock and awe type moment where his listeners would go, wow, I did not anticipate that. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. If not, I will have it on the screen for you. In Luke 12, 13, it says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said, Man, who appointed me a judge and an arbitrator between you? Well, this is actually very common for rabbis to do. They are the elder statesmen in the community. They are the ones that are are wise. They are the ones that possess wisdom. They're a really good candidate to arbitrate truth between these two brothers. And Jesus is not interested in doing that at all. However, he is interested in taking this to flip the script and use it as a teaching moment to talk about greed and to talk about possessions. So see what he says here. He addresses the crowd and says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. I'm sure the guy that shouted out to Jesus at this point is feeling quite small and a little awkward as Jesus talks about greed and possessions. And then Jesus tells them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And all of the Gen Xers can only hear Dave Matthews band in their heads. And tripping billies, right? Um, sounds pretty nice, right? I mean, this guy has it made in the shade. He had a, a banner year and he has all of this stuff. He can retire early. Like his tech startup has hit unicorn status. He, he has done it. He can live the good life. This is what Greek life is all about. This is the good life of seeking and being easy and seeking pleasure and Well, get ready because this is when Jesus adds in that little twist to the story. Everyone might be tracking at at this point. Yeah, that's exactly what I would do. That's conventional wisdom. That sounds great. I wish that would happen to me. And then Jesus continues. And he says, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. It is my last sermon here at The Journey, and I could choose from any of Jesus' parables. I could take anyone, and I choose the topic of money. 
What is wrong with me? How, why make it so hard on myself, right? Uh, some of you are like, I knew it. Churches talk about money all the time. Uh, we really don't, I promise. However, this is just kind of the, the, the passage that I landed on for whatever reason. Um, it could be because I need this lesson. As I started to prepare for this message, I, I pull out my notebook. I kind of always start on a legal pad and just writing down thoughts as I read the, the passage and look at some, some resources, and I pull out my legal pad, and an E-Trade alert goes off on my phone, and I find myself trying to prepare a lesson on money on my phone, seeing what that stock just did. I was like, ooh, okay, all right, I, I see God. Maybe this is about me as well. Unless we are maybe homesteading off the grid somewhere. Uh, we all have to deal with money in some way, shape, or form, right? We all have to interact with this thing of money and possessions. We can't just say, oh, I don't do that. I'll, I'll exclude myself from that conversation. I, I won't be tempted by that, so I'll just totally stay away from it. We all interact and deal with money. We can't get away from it. We have to wade into the financial waters and we have to figure out how we deal with this dance of storing up things for ourselves versus being faithful and, and giving to God. So what can we do? Um, Jesus talks about money a lot. Uh, if, you know, if you know me, you know that I like music and I like songwriting. And there were a lot of songs that I could go to to, to kick off this message. Uh, Pink Floyd, Money, was one of the first ones that I thought of, right? Makes me think of The Italian Job, how it starts off like that. Um, uh, ben Rector has a really great song called Making Money. I would in encourage you to check out. Really pithy, really kind of cute, funny song. But I landed on the pure country poetry of Chris Jansen when he starts off his song by saying, I ain't rich, but I dang sure want to be. All right? And I think we can identify with that. And then the hook of the song says, yeah, I know what they say. Money can't buy everything. Maybe so, but it can buy me a boat. <laughs> right? We, we need money in this world. Like, we always have the need of going, it'd be nice to have a little bit more money, wouldn't it? It'd be nice if I had just a few more things, wouldn't it? Oh, if I could take care of this need, if I could do this, I could have that, things might be a little bit easier. And Jesus talked about money a lot. And Luke records the times that Jesus talks about money a whole lot. Uh, almost every single chapter in the book of Luke and then the other book that he wrote in, in Acts deals with money or material possessions. You'll find it in almost every single chapter. Luke is willing to record this because Jesus talked about it so much. So this morning, all right, last Sunday, let, let's talk about money. Let's, let's do the thing that we're not supposed to do and we'll, we'll talk about it. But how can we make sure that we keep ourselves in check? How can we make sure that we're, we're doing the right thing? What Jesus is doing in this story, he's essentially saying, hey, money is a heart issue. That's what this is going to come down to is where is your heart? So what can we do? What are the things we can do to make sure that our heart is in the right place 
when it comes to finances. Well, the first thing we can do to ensure our heart is right when it comes to money is to seek wise counsel. To seek wise counsel. Now, as this parable starts off, we'd be tempted to think, hey, maybe that's what this person that's doing as they shout to Jesus and say, hey, make my brother give me the inheritance. Maybe that's what he's doing. But it's not, really. He's just saying, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to give me what I want. Hey, Jesus, I I want my way. Can you kind of come down heavy-handed on him and help me get what I want? Help me get what's mine, right? So he's not really seeking advice. He's not really putting himself in the situation where he is seeking counsel. Um, Jesus is like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. That's not really what this is about. In fact, what this is more about, I'm more concerned about your heart. I'm more concerned about your, your emphasis on, on greed. I'm more concerned about the selfishness that comes in with that. Nowhere in the, the parable that Jesus tells, in this story of the guy with the crops, nowhere does he seek wise counsel. Let's look in verse 16. It says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Let's pause there. Who did this? Who is responsible for his banner year? Did he do anything different, really? No. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. It's important for us to pause right there and go, hey, you know what? Everything that we have, it comes from the Lord. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But in verse 17, he says, what shall, and I'll emphasize it for you here. This is for all the English majors. I want us to, to, to recognize the first person usage here and recognize some possessive nouns. All right. So listen to this. Verse 17, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. He's having this little conversation with himself and he is only thinking about himself. There's no counsel, there's no seeking advice. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of fools seem right to them, but the wise listen to advice. The way of the fool seems right. He's in his own head. It makes sense that he is doing this, but the wise will listen to advice. Listen, wise counsel is not always what you want to hear. It's not always easy to hear. Uh, I was talking with a parent last Sunday, the Sunday before. Uh, They are currently in our Smart Money, Smart Kids class that meets downstairs during second service. And and he was telling me, I am shocked at how much I have learned in this class. He he goes, I thought I was going to come in and, you know, we're pretty good with money or whatever. I'm just going to learn some things on what I need to teach my kids or how I need to set this up for them to to do allowance or, or whatnot. And he goes, I am having to look at my own issue with money. Well, I want my kids to do it like this, but why don't I do it like that? Is this really maybe more of a trust issue for myself? And and am I living the way that I need to and the way that I really want to raise my kids? He goes, "I, I am shocked at how much I'm having to learn in this process. 
uh, one of the things that we have done for all of you in this church or anyone that's remotely connected to this church, your, your neighbors or anything like that as well, is we have purchased a site license for Ramsey Plus. This is all of the Financial Peace University library and all the tools, the, the premium budgeting tool, all of the videos and the resources. So the first action step for you to help you seek wise counsel is to actually activate your Ramsey Plus membership. On the way out today, you'll see a sign with, a, with business cards in there. You can take one of those. It has a QR code. It'll walk you through creating a free 12-month account from whenever you start it. You could start it next month. You could start it three months from now. Uh, whenever you start that account, it will give you 12 months free of all of these resources. So spend some time to seek wise counsel and to learn and to dive into that. This is our gift to you. This is an outreach opportunity for you to share this and to learn what does God say about our finances and how can I live in a way where I'm seeking that wise counsel and putting God first with our money. So that's a gift to you and that's our first action step. But what else can we do to ensure that our heart is right when it comes to money. Yeah, we can seek wise counsel. The second thing is we need to embrace stewardship. Now, this was really taught to me at an early age. I remember very young getting an allowance, and my parents had three different coffee jars. And they, they'd taken, you know, obviously all the coffee out. They'd taken the lid, super glued it shut, and cut a little slit in there. And I had one jar that was for give, and I had one jar that was for save, and I had one jar that was for spend. So when I got my allowance, I'd split it up, and I'd put a little bit in there, drop a little bit in this one, and drop a little bit in this one. And it was great. I'm a rule follower. That works for me. But my brother taught me how you can just push your hand down through that little slit and it's plastic and you can just make that slit a little bigger and you can start to pull some stuff out of there, all right? But still, those lessons were, they made an impact in my life. And I remember in high school, uh, in high school, I had a few different jobs. I worked at Old Navy. I worked at a Chinese restaurant. I uh, delivered flowers. I did some things like that. And I remember getting my paycheck at the you know, end of the month and writing down and, and doing the math on, okay, here's much I how much I made. This is how much I'm going to give. This is how much I'm going to save. This is really how much money I made. And that order is important. Give and save and then spend. Because whose is it? Did that man really work hard to, to make all this stuff? No, the ground had an abundant harvest. The ground produced this. Regardless of what's going on in your life, there are so much, so many things that go into you having the job that you had, the people that helped you out. Okay? We are not this self-made, independent person. That's just not reality. All right? God has given you and he's given you blessings and he's put things in your, in your path that have allowed you to get to where you are. And so that giving is our way of saying, hey, I, I see you, God. I, I get it. I'm going to give back to you. I'm going to save, pay yourself first, save that money for when you need it, when something happens, and not, that way you're not, you're not scraping by and living paycheck to paycheck and going into debt. And then this is how much you have 
left. This is how you live below your means and not overextending yourself. These are the lessons that we need to be able to put in and to adapt. And if we're going to embrace stewardship, it starts with that process of give and save, and then we spend. This man did not embrace stewardship. Um, as the old proverb goes, more money, more problems, right? Uh, this man's blessing turned in to be a problem. So he has this blessing of this surplus, and then it turns into this problem to be managed. And that's what happens with blessings. Blessings are great, but then we have to figure out what to do with it, right? Uh, when you were little, did you ever like beg your parents for a pet? Like you just, oh, this is the most important thing in the world and I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to do all this stuff, right? Maybe you got that pet with a, a ribbon on it on Christmas morning or maybe for your birthday or something. And then you realize that that blessing of a pet is now a problem to be managed, right? You have to take it out. You have to clean up after itself. Now your family has to figure out what to do with this pet when you go on vacation and how this is all going to be worked out. A blessing can easily turn into a problem to be managed. The bigger the problem is, um, the bigger it needs to be managed. Now this man, he dealt with the problem at hand. Okay? He dealt with the problem of the surplus grain. What do I do with it? It won't fit in my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns so it can fit in there. He dealt with one problem. But Jesus tells this story not to say what to do with your barns. He tells this story because the man did not deal with the bigger problem. He did not deal with the problem of what to do with his life. He did not deal with what will I do with my life. How will I live? How will I embrace stewardship? How can I be rich towards God? That was nowhere near his frame of reference. In Luke 6, 4, it says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. His focus is on self-sufficiency. His focus was on protecting his crops so that he can sit back and relax and think to himself, I'm good, I'm stable, I am taken care of. Do you ever have that moment in life where you feel like, yeah, things are pretty good right now. Like, things are all right. Things are going well. And isn't that when life throws a wrench in your plans? Isn't that when the hot water heater breaks, right? And your basement floods? Isn't that when the car breaks down and you have to go, Oh, okay, we have some other things going on here. When life throws a wrench in your plans, it, it shows us how fragile this dynamic is, how fragile our, our, this balance is with our life and with our money. Richard Foster, who wrote um, Celebration of Discipline, a fantastic book, he, he says this, when we are tempted to think that what we own is a result of our personal efforts. It only takes a little drought or a small accident to show us once again how utterly dependent we are for everything. It only takes a little bit to realize that we are not self-dependent, to realize that, um, that we need so much more. 
And that's the deal with stewardship. We can trade the myth of self-dependency for the gift of stewardship. That you have been giving these things not to build up yourself and not to save and protect and make sure that you are taken care of no matter what, but you have been giving these things to be a steward with them, to do good with them, not only to serve yourself and to put food on your table, sure, but also to be rich towards God and to bless others. There is a family here at this church that one time I received a, a card and it was like a little thank you card. Hey, thanks for, for everything you do. And there was a gift card inside of it. And, and they said, a long time ago, we realized that we have all, all of these credit card points and we don't really need it. Like we, we don't need this for ourselves. And so we take our credit card points and we cash them in for gift cards and we hand those out as a way to bless other people. They realize that what they have been given might not just be for themselves, but it might be an extension to bless someone else. Some of you have way more credit card points than you will ever need. Some of you have way too many airline miles that you will ever need. And, and that could be a, a way that you could bless someone else. The action step on how we can live this life of stewardship is, is simply to give back. How can you give back in this moment? How can you experience the consistent practice of giving? Maybe you give just a little bit here and there, tugs on your heartstrings or something like that, but you've never really gone through the discipline of saying, hey, this part is for the Lord, and, and I'm going to be the first to give this back to God, and to build that faithful practice of giving. I was talking with, uh, he's now the president of my undergrad, of my Christian college, but he was telling me one time, he's, you know, one of our biggest givers over the years is, is a single woman that she just faithfully gave a little bit every month. And over 75 years, that little bit is quite a donation for a Christian college. I mean, would you ever think of giving, insert X amount of dollars and giving that to a charity or giving that to a university? It might be a big number for you of like, oh, I could never do that. Why, why would I ever do that? But can you do the faithful practice of a little bit every month? And over time, you're able to look at the, the legacy that you have made, the difference that you have made. That's the way stewardship works. That's the way giving works really works. That you can enjoy the blessing and you can en enjoy the blessing of increasing your gift to others. So, so when you get a raise or you get a promotion, like that's amazing that God has blessed you in that way. Not only does that mean that, hey, you could do some other stuff for your family, but you know what? Now I can extend that blessing even more to other people. So what can you do to ensure that your heart is right when it comes to money. We can seek wise counsel. We can embrace stewardship. And finally, we need to pursue what is important. Jesus doesn't tell us this story in a way to say that money is bad. It's not 
This is evil and stay away from it. Don't ever touch it. Uh, this whole section of Luke, when, when you look at what's before and after this story, this parable of the rich fool, you look at before and after, it's all about worry. The section before, uh, he, he tells people, don't worry when you're persecuted and you don't know what you're going to say when you're brought up in front of the authorities because you follow me. You don't need to worry about your life. Because I know you so well, I know how many hairs are numbered on your head. You don't need to worry. And then he tells this story about possessions. And then afterwards, right after this section, he tells another story about worrying. He talks about the birds of the air and he talks about the flowers and says, hey, look at how God takes care of these things. You don't need to worry. You don't need to worry about what you're gonna eat or drink. I'm gonna take care of you. Have some trust in this. You don't need to worry about all of this. That's where he puts this story. So what can we do to make sure that our heart is right? We can pursue what's important. We don't need to pursue money because we know that's going to be empty. We know that our life can be taken from us just like that. Seek the kingdom. Don't get caught up in the stress and the worry of life and money. Pursue what's important. Psalm 62.10 says, Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Though your riches increase, don't set your heart on them. When good things happen, when you accumulate wealth, you have to be careful. Don't let it change your heart. Don't let it become a source of greed and a source of holding back and a source of self-sufficiency because that's where our heart will go. That's what we will want to do. Uh, think about it this way. If you could look back or if maybe your, let's say, 22-year-old self could look at you and all the things that you have, what would, what would they say to you? Or what advice would you have to your 22-year-old self who's eating ramen noodles all the time? They'd be like, this is incredible. Look at, look at what you have and look at what you've done. And you make how much money? I thought I was going to make that when I graduated college. And then I got to the real world and then realized that, oh, no, you don't make that just for having a college degree. You got to work your way up. What is the advice that you would give to your 22-year-old self? Luke 12, 14 says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. This is not just a story about money. Jesus, the hook in the story, the, the twist is that we're not really talking about money and how you spend your money and what you do. Jesus says, there's something bigger that's going on here. And that's when we see in verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this night your life, your very, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves and who is not rich towards God. We are guaranteed nothing in this life. Now, I don't know how many examples we need to know how fragile life is. How quickly things can get taken from us. 
Life is short and life is fragile and we are guaranteed nothing in this life and we cannot predict when our end will come. All of your best planning, all of your life's dreams, man, they can be tossed out of the window in an instant, right? How would you live if you knew you had one day left to live? Now, that's maybe a bad example. You might do some really stupid stuff if you knew you only had one day left, okay? How, how, how would you live if you knew you had six months left to live? Or maybe if you knew you had two years left to live. How would you live? Because at that point, you still have to go to work right? You still have to do the normal daily rhythms of life. You can't just burn it all to the ground. What would your life look like if you knew that you had two years left to live? You'd have some experiences you'd, you'd want. You'd have some places you'd want to go see. You'd have some people you would want to spend time with for sure. My guess is it would bring about a measure of humility, my guess is it would allow you to step back and see the bigger picture. And, and this is my action step for you here. If we are going to pursue what's important, use this question. What matters in this moment? What really matters in this moment? As you're talking about your, your neighborhood drama, what matters in this moment? Does that really matter? Or the, the people involved, do they matter? Maybe it's an integrity situation at work. What really matters right here is it that I am true to my word and I do the thing that I say that I'm going to? What really matters when I'm with that other person? Is what's on my phone really that important? Or should I maybe put that down and focus on the person in front of me? When that person shares what's going on in their life, is it really what's going on in my life that matters? Or would this be a really good time to say, hey, could we just pause and can I pray for you? What really matters in this moment right now? In the end, I want to live a life in a way and in a manner where God would look and say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want out of life. I, I want to do it well. And I want God to say, yeah, well done at the end. But in order to get to that well done, I wonder if it's helpful for us to think about this season. In order to have the ultimate well done, good and faithful service, hey, in your season of life right now, wherever you are, with whatever challenges you have, with whatever money that God has blessed you with, with whatever possessions or station in life God has given you, I wonder, could we be faithful in this season? And if I'm faithful in this season and I get, okay, well done here, now here's the, the next step, here's the next phase, and can I live a well done life at that stage of life? How can you prepare to live a life well done at the end of your next season? I think it starts with seeking wise counsel. I think it starts with embracing stewardship. And I think it starts with pursuing what is important. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, help us to live 
a good life. Help us to live a faithful life. God, we are so tempted by money and possessions and greed and envy, these huge things that can have a a major control on our life. And Father, I pray that you can help us have the right heart. Pray that you can challenge us in these areas where, where we need to be challenged and put the right people around us to give us the wisdom that we need. Help us to, to be good stewards of what you've given us. And Father, I pray that we would live this kingdom life, that we would seek first your kingdom and seek first your ways. And your word tells us all of this other stuff will be given to us as well. So, Father, we submit that to you, and we ask that you would help us to live a good life, a pure life, a faithful life for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.